will be my end. I could spend forever trying to tell you everything he is. But the best way I could say it is this. God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could or could. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 17. Just take a look at that verse and then we'll use that as a springboard or a kickoff uh, to what we're going to address today. John chapter 17, verse 17. Excited about this coming weekend. And again, uh, it, it won't happen without full participation. You don't get 100 visitors to any church unless you have everybody pulling in the same direction. And so I want to encourage you and ask you to find someone. Maybe there's somebody that you've sat beside here in the services that you don't even see today. And uh, give them a call this week. Give them a text. Tell them, say, hey, listen, next week's the big day. We need everyone in their place for the big day. And then maybe encourage them to bring somebody else with them. Now, again, as we said, our goal is not to empty out the Baptist Baptist churches in Akron. That's not the goal at all. You know, I don't want to be feeding Baptists. Except you, okay? Because you know how that goes. We'll run out of food like that, you know? So anyway, so let's go ahead and reach out to our community and find somebody. If they're in a church maybe that doesn't preach the gospel, by all means, get them here. We're going to be preaching the gospel. We'll be sharing the truth. And I'm hoping uh, that day to have a good illustration, something will go with a message. We'll keep it simple. We'll keep it plain. And we'll keep it short, really, even, too. Our goal is not to bore them out of their minds. We want to give them the gospel. We want to give it to them hard and fast. And we want them to hear it straight and true. And uh, so uh, we're not going to do anything that is going to put you in jeopardy. And uh, you'll be glad you invited your family, your friends, and others. So bring them with you. Okay? And we'll have a good time that day. And uh, looking forward to it. All right. Let's go ahead and... um, Oh, by the way, if you go to Farmer Boys on the weekend, you have to pay full price. They don't have that special on Sundays. You know that sheet? Some of you have been there. You get some really good deals on that little sheet. That sheet's gone on the weekend. I'm just warning you, okay? So you're going to bring, you better bring somebody with you to make it worthwhile, let me tell you that. But their food, their food's good for breakfast. I like their breakfast food, but boy, I'll tell you, full price, I don't know. I think I'll stay home and eat. Okay, that's just a little advice from the pastor. Moving on. John chapter 17, verse 17. Here we go now. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know, we were out door knocking just the other day and uh, come across a, a lady, a very nice lady, very cordial lady. She's a very kind lady. 
Uh, we spoke to her for a few moments, and uh, Brother Brad actually was the one talking with her at first, I believe, and as we were moving along the way there, I kind of stepped in a little bit. I was kind of back, it just worked out in a way that I really wasn't even necessarily up front. He was way up there, I was back here, and I started talking to her a little bit too, and we had a good little conversation there for a while, and as we prepared to leave, you know, uh, I asked her if she would pray for us because she kind of gave the implication, gave us the idea that she knew the Lord, that she was saved, you know, that it seemed like she had a good understanding or at least said, you know, I'm, I know I'm good to go as far as, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm good on that. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, okay, great. Well, that's wonderful. So before we left, I said, hey, listen, uh, pulled the, you know, took the track and I said, listen, would you be willing to, I said, we'd love you to pray for us. We certainly need folks praying for us in the ministry there. And uh, she came toward me and she took the track, of course. And then as she went to go sit down again, I said, so, so um, you have invited Christ into your life. I don't know why. I just felt something isn't right here. And I said, so you've invited Christ into your life. And what she said has continued to haunt me since she said it. She said to me, well, let's just say we both have our ways and that's all that matters. I mean, in the beginning of the conversation, uh, as Brother Brad talked to her, it appeared and it seemed like she had a relationship with the Lord or at least a confidence that in eternity she would be fine, but... Something didn't just gel right. It didn't feel right. And when I asked that simple question, so you've invited Christ into your life. And she said, well, let's just say we, we both have our ways and that's all that matters. You know, nothing could be farther from the truth. Now listen, I'm not one to try to find contention. I'm not one to try to get in the middle of things and create problems. I'm not one to say, I'm right and you're wrong. That's not me, I'm going to tell you that. I'm not that kind of confrontational type of person. I really don't want people to dislike me and I don't want people to not accept me. And I want to be able to accept others and I want to love people the way Jesus loves people. But let me tell you something, when we hear statements like that, I'm telling you that is an unscriptural statement. That is not true. That is not gospel. That's not the word of God. And so, first of all, we need to define truth. If you define what truth is, Webster says, well, it's conformity to fact or reality. It's conformity to fact or reality. That's what truth is, according to Webster. And that's the 1828. I always go back to the old one because Webster in his 1828 often, often uses scripture to define the words. And I love that. Now, again, there's no better dictionary of the Word of God than the Word of God itself, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. However, I think that Webster 1828 is pretty good. But I do believe that we are given a more complete or concise definition in the Word of God itself, though. And I believe that we just read it in chapter 17, verse 17 of the book of John. When he simply says, sanctify them through thy truth. Here it is now, thy word is truth. You say, well, what's the truth, preacher? The truth is the Word of God. Now listen, you have your idea of what truth may be. I can have my idea of what truth may be. The truth is we could bring 10 people up here and say, what is truth? And we may come to all different conclusions. However, my friend, the Bible defines truth as being this book, the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. This book, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change at all. It's always the same. So we always have Truth. 
and it does, it's consistent across the board. It doesn't matter whether you lived a thousand years ago or 500 years ago or just a, a century ago. The fact is, is that it has been the same and will always be the same. If you want to know what truth is, it's in the Word of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 4 tells us, God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written... That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome them, overcome when thou art judged. Again, I like that. Let God be true, but every man a liar. See, what the Bible's teaching us then is this. That if you or I disagree with God, we are always wrong. If you or I disagree with what the Word of God teaches and promotes and shares, then let me tell you something. The fact is, is that the Bible's not wrong. God's not wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. Because the word of God is truth. And if I deviate from his word, if I deviate from his truth, it isn't him that's wrong, it's me that's wrong. Let God be true, but every man a liar. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, the Bible's pretty clear when it says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And let me tell you, the truth is, is that all of us if, honest, if, we, if we're perfectly honest, we have, in many cases, have adopted our own personal viewpoints. We've adopted our own ideas and our own ideology. And the fact is, is that many times we have come to conclusions based on our past experience or possibly even our present experience. Maybe it's from some teaching that we've received in the home or even at school or maybe at the university. It might be just, again, our general experiences overall. But the fact is, is this, is that the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter how convinced you are that you hold the truth in your your, your heart. It doesn't matter how right you believe yourself to be. It doesn't matter how sure you are and confident you are of the reality that you believe to be true. The fact is, is that if you or I deviate from this book, the Word of God, then my friend, I'm telling you, without a doubt, scripturally speaking, that is your way. It is right in your eyes. But my friend, it is simply the ways of death. And it's going nowhere fast. The sad truth is that our way is one that leads to death and destruction. Now listen, in her mind, she was as right as right could be. And someone says, I don't believe, I cannot even believe you're picking on somebody today. I'm not picking on somebody. You wouldn't have a clue who it was if even I told you, and I'm not going to share anything. I don't even know her name. But I have heard statements like that. I have seen attitudes and experienced that perspective for years. And may I say, it has haunted me since she said it. It bothers me. It has truly affected my ability to think properly. I can't get past it. Because my friend, that is simply a person who is right in their own eyes. And it's leading nowhere except toward death. And that is not Mark O'Donnell speaking. That's not the pastor speaking. That's not uh, a representative of Community Baptist Temple speaking. That is nothing but the truth speaking. And therefore, if you're struggling with the truth, then you are struggling with him. 
In her mind, she was as right as right could be. Her view was as seared into her mind as my view is. She took up her cause as, as bold as I would take up my cause. She would stand and hold her ground no matter what I said, and I would stand and hold my ground no matter what she said. The truth was we both believe we are right. The question is, where is she finding her truth, and where am I finding my truth? And today the question is, where are you finding your truth? Because if it's anywhere, if it's anywhere but the Word of God, then my friend, you're the one that's wrong, not God. And if I'm finding my truth anywhere but this book, the blessed book, the Word of God, then I'm wrong. Her confidence was strong, howbeit false. So, what is the truth concerning this issue? Well, I'm going to share three simple thoughts and we're done today, okay? Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together and we ask, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts and our lives. You are so good to us and we are so thankful that you have chosen, Father, to send your only begotten Son to die in our stead, to take our place on Calvary, paying for our sin, shedding his precious, perfect blood and raising again the third day. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your family, to become a son of God We ask that now you'd be with us. You said you would be with us, in us. But now corporately we ask that you'd fill this place with your spirit and your presence. May your power be evident here today. And may you, Father, do your work in each life. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. And Lord, if there be anyone here that has yet to settle this issue, knowing Christ, being a born-again believer, being saved, as the Bible says, then may they settle that today and not take one moment or lose sleep for one moment over it. God will thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, the truth is that there is only one course. There's only one course. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 again. Not again, but we've done that in the past, right? So in my mind, we've been there a few times. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. What we're really saying is that there's really only one way. Now again, uh, this, this very good, very cordial, very kind woman, and I'm sure very intelligent person, made a statement to me that, well, let's just say we both have our ways and that's all that matters. The problem is, is that the Bible teaches if you're going to get to heaven, if you're going to make it to the celestial shores above, then you only can go one way. Notice it says in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, We're in the truth, bind you. We're in the word of God. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Boy, that's a scary statement, isn't it? I mean, if you have family and friends that you're questioning whether or not they truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, may I say that they are part of a much larger group? And that there's a good chance they don't know him if you're questioning it. If they can't clearly spell out a time, a place when they personally trusted Jesus Christ, or they have questions about whether or not they really are born again, my friend, there's a good chance, based on the word of God, that they are on this broad way because that's where many are there at. Notice it says here now, and that's sobering thought, by the way. I don't believe there's a person in this room that would gather here on a Sunday morning that would ever even want to entertain the thought of a family member, a friend, or a loved one going to hell. 
I don't believe that. I don't believe you'd be here if you ever had any thought or concern. I mean, I, I, if, you have, if you had no concern and no thought for others, you wouldn't probably be here anyway. Now, enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Why is that? Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So I suppose we could go ahead and clarify my previous statement. There really is more than one way, isn't there? There are two ways. But there's only one that leads to life. You say, you just figured that out? No, I knew that. I just thought I'd leave a cliffhanger there. (laughs) There are really two ways. But there's only one that leads to life. So in my opinion, from my perspective, from the word of God, there's really only one way, one course that you can travel that leads you to the right place. And the Bible teaches us that there is that broad way and that when we're born into this life, we are on that path that ultimately leads to death. We're all traveling in the same direction. We're all going to the same place. We're ultimately going to drop off into a place called hell because that is what we are. We are sinners at the root. By nature, we are sinners and they can do nothing to please and to bring favor of the God of heaven. A God of heaven who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous, who is so beyond us we can't even gather or comprehend who and what he really is. The only thing we have to really try to even make sense of it at all is this blessed book, the truth, the word of God, that describes him as being holy, holy, holy. And I can tell you this, I'm not. Not in myself, I'm not. And biblically and scripturally speaking, neither are you. And neither is anybody else in this world. Because the Bible says we are born into sin and we will live in our sin and we will die in our sin and we will continue on that broad road that leadeth to destruction. But aren't you glad that 2,000 years ago the God of heaven in all of his love and his mercy and grace sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I mean, I came to the cross that day in my life and I was on that broad road that leads to destruction and there I saw the light and it was focused on the cross and I saw Jesus die, buried, and rise again and I said, I need Christ! I need Jesus. And I got off that broad road and I started on another path, a narrow road. And if you've not entered onto that narrow road, my friend, you're still on the broad road. There's only two paths to take, but may I say there's really only one course if you want to get to heaven. One course. Probably one of the Scariest passages in the Bible to me for years was Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Turn there, would you please? We're already in 7, but go down a few verses if you've already gotten away from it. Chapter 7, verse 21. Notice what it says there. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And I used to hear those passages and think to myself, man, I'm doing all the right things. Man, I'm doing, I'm trying to, to call on the Lord and I'm trying to walk the right path and I'm trying to do the right things. Does that mean one day I'll get to heaven or to the, to the throne of God and say, Lord, Lord, have I not done this and have I not done that and have I not done this and that and everything else? And he'll say, I've never knew you. Boy, I tell you, it shook me. It bothered me. It haunted me. You say, what's the key to the passage then? It certainly doesn't mean what we believe it, what it seems to mean then. What it means, and notice what it's saying here. It's pretty clear. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not in thy name done many wonderful works? Let me ask you something. If you do things the way God intended it to be done, when you stand before the Lord and he would say to you, why in the world should I let you in? Would you say, well, I've, uh, I've prophesied in thy name. I've uh, cast out devils. I've done many wonderful works, Lord. You wouldn't say that, would you? You want to know why? Because the will of the Lord isn't that you can or will ever earn God's favor. His will is that you repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you trust in Him wholly, completely, without reservation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever will keep the law. Because we know that the law came to prove to us and to point out that none of us can measure up to a holy, perfect standard. We're all going to fall miserably short. We need Jesus, a Savior, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I'm not worried about getting to heaven one day and finding out that I'm going to hell and saying, but Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? I'll tell you why, because I'm not trusting in anything I've ever done. I'm trusting on what Jesus did on Calvary and shedding his precious blood, being buried and rising again the third day. I mean, he's the way, the truth, and the life. One course. But you know what? There's one Christ. One Christ. Uh, Is Jesus divine? That was a question that Barna Research checked out and considered amongst uh, those in our country. Here's the conclusion they came to. They said, it's not surprising in our secular age that while 83% of Americans describe themselves as Christian, many of them don't accept their faith's central tenet, Jesus' divinity. Writes Barna, most adults... Not quite 6 in 10 believe Jesus was God, about 56% actually. While about one quarter say he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad or the Buddha, 26%. The remaining one in six say they aren't sure whether Jesus was divine. So they either place him on the same level as other religious leaders or they say he's not divine. If 83% of Americans describe themselves as Christians, how is it that only 56% can say that he is divine? Can you imagine the remainder saying, we don't believe that he is God and yet we are Christian? Well, what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God teach? Can I tell you today, we have a real disconnect between the truth and our own personal reality. And that disconnect is nothing less than this book, the Word of God. 
We have discarded this book and we have chosen to create God in our own image. And in essence, we have built up false gods. Well, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe that, well, I don't really believe that he's divine. I don't really believe he's God in flesh. And I believe that if you just live a good enough life, you can get to heaven because Jesus loves everybody. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, Jesus may love everybody, but that's not why you get to heaven, my friend. And Jesus is more than just a mere man. He did not just come by way of a natural birth. He came by way of a supernatural birth. He is none other than God in flesh. And if you say you believe in the God of the Bible, then you have to believe that Jesus is God. Is Jesus sinless? Barna's research again, he, he, they stepped out and they said, well, with only 46% of Americans saying Jesus was sinless, but as mentioned, 56 believing he is God, it seems some citizens have a strange conception of, quote, godly behavior. Of course, we could also wonder how some people conceptualize divine. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, now we only have 46% of Americans saying that Jesus was sinless. But we have 56% saying that he was divine. Now I want you to get, wrap your mind around, before we wrap our mind around that, 46% say that he was sinless, but yet 83% say that they are Christian. So the Jesus they believe in isn't sinless. He's a sinner. That's an amazing concept. You want to know again how that happens? Because the word of God is not viewed as truth anymore. It's not our truth. We have our own concept of truth. We create our own truth, our own reality today. See, I know what's right because I know what's right. That's how we live. And by the way, you're not allowed to tell anybody they're wrong because everybody's right today. And that concept has so permeated our culture that it has destroyed the church. And it's wrecking and ruining our futures. Because if we do not have a standard that we can turn to, then everyone becomes the standard, and we have anarchy and chaos. Who determines what is right or wrong? Who determines what is best and not best? Who determines how a church ought to function and operate? Who decides what kind of music and what kind of standards and what kind of Bible and what kind of service to have? I mean, who makes these decisions if we do not have... It outlined and prescribed in the word of God. Then the truth is you can do whatever you want. This new idea that, well, we can just go ahead and get together and have a Bible study in a bar and sit and drink beer while we talk about Jesus. Then I would be wrong to tell you that was wrong if the word of God is not the truth. Because if you and I are the truth and our concept of truth is right, then you are as right as I'm right. You're as wrong as I'm wrong. None of us are really wrong. We're all correct. We're all right. You do it the way you want. I'll do it the way I want. No one can tell me I'm wrong because we're all right. Let me tell you something. Praise God. He gave us a book. He didn't give us the word of God so that we can go around and hold it up and say, everybody's wrong, but me, everybody's wrong, but me. That's not why he did it. He did it so that every one of us could experience love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So that we can experience everything that we want. There's not a person in the room that doesn't want to know love today. There's not a person in the room that doesn't want to experience joy in their life. There's not a person in the room 
that doesn't want to have peace in their home and in their marriage and in their families. But you don't get that any other way than by obeying and abiding in the scriptures. And that's why I left it. Not to somehow hang it around our necks so that it ultimately drags us down and takes us into the ground, kills us, destroys us, and wrecks and ruins us and keeps us from enjoying life. No, he did it so we could enjoy life. To depart from this word is a death sentence. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Why? Because there was no king in the land. And there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Christ. See, the truth is in Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We learn what that word Emmanuel means in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when he says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm going to tell you, Christ is divine. He's God in flesh. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we have a prophecy that was given to us 700 years prior to Christ coming to earth at all. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, shoulder, and his name shall be called, listen now, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Everlasting Father, did you hear that? The Prince of Peace, that's Jesus it's talking about, that's Jesus that that verse is talking about. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it's confirmed again in the New Testament. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What is indeed the mystery of godliness? Well, he tells us as he continues by saying, God was manifest in the flesh. God became man. All man, all God. 1 Peter 2.21 tells us, For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin. What's truth? Thy word is truth. You know who Christ is today? Who Jesus is? He's God in flesh. He's God. And he became man. He's God and he became all man. And all God simultaneously at the same time. And he was without sin. You say, how do you know that? How can you say that emphatically? How can you say that without question? How can you tell somebody they're wrong if they say he isn't God? Good question. Because thy word is truth. Let God be true, but every man a liar. You say, I don't like that. That's exclusive. That leaves people out. No, it doesn't. You'll find that God never leaves people out. He gives opportunity for everyone to come to him. See, Jesus is one of a kind. There's no one else like him. While all others have died and are still in the grave, this Jesus lives today. He's one of a kind. Finally, not only do we see one course and one Christ, but what, what is the truth again? Well, there's really only one choice. Now, again, I understand there's multiple choices you can make, but there's really only one choice that leads to the place I'm sure you want to go and that I want to go. There's a saying that says, many roads lead to Rome. You may have heard that before. 
You may have had somebody tell you that. Somebody's adopted that philosophy as a spiritual lifestyle. I have no doubt that many roads lead to Rome. But I also have no doubt that only one leads to heaven. You say again, how do you know that and how can you be so sure about yourself? Well, it's because I'm not really, really don't have an opinion. I'm just parroting what he says. See, the truth is, is that I don't, I don't think you really care what I believe or think. You know, I had a teacher one time tell me that everybody's got an opinion. They're like, how would you say it? Everybody has an opinion. They're like noses. Holy Spirit, help me. Does anybody remember? What's that? Everybody has one. And they all run. But anyway, um, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Brother Kavanaugh, of course, would have this one in his uh, arsenal of uh, sayings. They're, you know, everyone has an opinion. They're, they're, they're like armpits. Everybody has one. They all stink. That coming from the youth director, of course. Thank you, Brother Kavanaugh. We appreciate your insight and understanding and wisdom. Leave that in the teen room. And use deodorant, teenagers. So we've already learned then that there's only one course. There's only one Christ. And again, may I say there's only one choice that provides an escape from our sin and lands us safely in that celestial city. In John 14, 6, we've already quoted it. It says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Boy, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, you want to talk about exclusivity. Uh, I guess if that's a word, I might have made it up. But either way, it sounds pretty good. He says, neither is there salvation in any other? For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We've got to make a choice today. It's clear that we must choose. We have the example of Joshua over there in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, when he stands before all of Israel. And they have allowed, uh, God has allowed and permitted them to occupy the land. And now Joshua is going to be going off the scene and he makes a, a, a speech and he shares with the people and he ultimately challenges them. And he says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Now, can I tell you that as harsh as it may seem and as as isolated of an opinion as it may appear, the truth is, according to the word of God, that if you choose not to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have chosen to follow an idol. There is no in-between. You are either following the true God or a false God. And someone says, I'm following no God at all. I don't believe in organized religion. And boy, we're getting more of that nowadays, aren't we? Then you're following yourself and making yourself a God. Because you are putting yourself above God and His Word. You become the God in your own life. 
You become like Adam and Eve back there in Genesis when the, when the Satan said, listen, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. But we've got people in America and around the world today that believe they know what is right and what they, they think is wrong. They make themselves gods instead of looking at the word of God and letting his, him determine it because thy word is truth. This is where we find truth. This is where we find right and wrong. This is where we find the true belief and the true understanding and the true way. And someone says, well, you can't know that. What if, what if the Koran is the real word of God? What if this religion is true and yours is false? Well, then I guess I'll go to my grave, believe in mine. But I'm going to tell you something. We have so many proofs in prophecy. We have so many proofs just in the fact of everything that's written in the Word of God. And as we look around us and see how it all panned out and how everything has gone down through the years, we have proof positive in historical books and facts and so forth that point to the Word of God as true. We've seen God's power. We've seen God's presence. We recognize God's plan and purpose through the ages. We see it described in the Word of God. And ultimately... We have to admit there's something to this thing called the Word of God. As for me, Joshua said, it begins with you today. I asked the question, so you've, so you've invited Christ into your life? The response, well, let's just say we both have our ways, and that's all that matters. I'm not upset with her at all. I wouldn't be angry for, if your life depended, if my life depended, I wouldn't be angry with her. My heart breaks for her. She's believed the lie of the devil. She's believed a lie of our society and our culture and our world in which we live. And why wouldn't, why wouldn't many? We're on, if they're on the broad road that leads to destruction, then they are getting their, their information from none other than the God, little g God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, which is Satan himself. Because he is the God of this world system. The political system, the economic system, the social system, the religious system of our, our, our era. Our heart ought to break for people who cannot see the truth because of the force of lies that have grown about them. May God help us to not let the weeds and the trees of lies Blind us from the truth that exists in the word of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, there's really only one course that you can take that leads to life. There's only one Christ who is able to save your soul from sin. And there is only one choice that ultimately leads you to an eternity with the creator God of heaven. Now the choice is yours. How will you choose? I want to encourage you to receive and accept Christ today as being God in flesh, recognizing that he alone died on that cross as payment for our sin, that we were born into sin and we'll live in our sin and die in our sin, but he 
in His love, His mercy, and grace took our place on Calvary, shed His blood in our stead, sacrificed Himself, and paid the penalty of sin, which is death, by dying on Calvary for us. The choice is yours, and the choice is mine. I've made my choice. It was for Christ. It was for that narrow way. It was for heaven. It was for him. Now the choice is yours. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for...